This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Blake Topmeyer of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Blake, good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Um, well, first, this is like I had to add this to my notes because it came across the news crawl today. Um, I um, I spoke to a Tennessee football player a couple weeks ago about everything going on and um, a prominent Tennessee football player, and no test, like no positive tests, and it was interesting to me that that like that was a thing um, early on in the summer because I would have expected at least a couple by now. And then this week, we find out several. Um, have tested positive. What do you know about uh, the positive tests of, as of right now? Yeah, it was it was multiple athletes across multiple sports. I mean, mm. up, up to this, I, I guess what was most interesting is is the the lack of transparency from Tennessee yeah. this time around. Because uh, you know, earlier this summer, as you mentioned, Tennessee had no positive tests among football players when players reported back. Uh, this summer, which uh, was a little surprising, I think, you know, a, a good sign, a positive sign. I would have expected the number of players, just kind of the law of averages, you would have thought probably would have been some some positive tests there, but there wasn't. Uh, but then they had a couple men's basketball players test positive, and, and they were up front with, you know, they didn't name the players, which really no schools are doing that, but they did identify the number of the sport. Uh, but this time around, uh, Tennessee uh, tested athletes from, from multiple sports. So, you know, we can't definitively say that it's, it's just football, but certainly football is, is among them. And they tested football again, uh, coming off the, the July 4th weekend. And it took a while, um, a long, longer than the last round of testing, but, uh, to get those results back. And, uh, not only were there, there positives in football, there were positives in, in at least one other sport as well, um, which is not particularly surprising, I guess, since we have now more athletes coming back, uh, to, to campus this summer. So, you know, I, I guess for Tennessee, it's kind of, you know, really more falling in line with, with what we're seeing across the country. I mean, I would have been surprised if, 
if there would have been another round of football testing and still no positives. Um, I guess the, uh, the tough part is you don't know, like, was this two players testing positive? Was this yeah. a dozen players testing positive? Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately we don't know. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Was that intentional? Do you think to kind of blur it a little bit? Well, it is, it's just interesting, you know, and, and I yeah. think like it's why, why be transparent in the first round? Yes. Why be transparent in the first round and not this round? I mean, you know, it, it certainly can lead to some speculation where we're, you know, the numbers of positives uh, at a point where Tennessee thought that would, that would be bad press. Is it just different because it's, it's football. And so yeah. different rules apply. They don't want to be transparent because it's football. I, I don't know the answer to that, but at the very least, um, you know, a smaller sport. So, I mean, like in terms of protecting the identity of players, you know, they said two basketball players tested positive. Well, that's a sport with a very small roster. So yeah. they weren't obviously, you know, worried about the, the identity of, of players getting revealed there. Um, you know, whereas football is a huge roster, you, you really couldn't possibly know, you know, the players who, who probably tested positive. So um, I, I, I don't, it's hard to explain the, the change in, in stance. So how many people are back? What do you know so far? Is the whole team back? Like, what is the latest on the football team and, like, what they're doing? Because last night, like, they hadn't done anything um, as a group yet, and they were just working with coaches, or coaches were sending them, um, like, video stuff to work on and things like that. Like, what do you know right now? Yeah, so when when players came back in June, they were in voluntary workout mode. And, and of course, we can debate about the the meanings of voluntary workouts. But strictly speaking, um, you know, there there were not mandatory workouts. And the the coaching staff was was not allowed to supervise these workouts. You could be under the supervision of strength and strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, Well, not necessarily video stuff. They they could do, they they could be doing, um, you know, conditioning, weightlifting under the supervision of the strength staff. Now we've transitioned to a portion of the calendar um, where they can be doing uh, workouts under with, with the the coaching staff present. Mm -hmm. And so, but we, we, we still not gotten to the point where, you know, we're transitioning more toward, um, practice type settings, you know, the, the next stage that the sec has outlined, as long as we continue on this calendar and there's no changes, um, would be going through more walkthrough, um, type, type situations, not full on practice, but, uh, you know, a ball can be incorporated, I guess, is, is what we should say. Uh, so it's more like practice. And, and we're about, uh, I think, about 10 days away from that or be later on uh, this month. Of course, this is all assuming that this all unfolds as planned. But yes, it really what we've kind of transitioned from is the voluntary uh, strength and conditioning workouts under the supervision of the strength staff to now this becomes you can make it mandatory and, and have the coaching staff incorporated. What um what do you think Philip Fulmer wants? Because he was the lone vote no on every like what do you think Fulmer is thinking right now? If you had to guess what his gut is telling him and also what he wants, what would you guess? In terms of the season? Yeah, in terms of the season and whether or not to push it back or to what to just move it up a couple months or go conference only. What what do you think? Well, I think Tennessee certainly wants to play, you know, it's conference games at, at a minimum. I think Tennessee also would like to retain its game against Oklahoma. Um, I, That's not happening. If the schedule has to go down. Well, I don't know about that. Really? So you think that's still I don't on the table? Know. Okay. Yeah. I think that's very much still on the table. Uh, now, 
I also think there's a, a real possibility we just have no season this <laughs> this fall. I mean, you know, I, I think that that's certainly very much in play. That uh, you know that that we have to face the real possibility of of there being no college football in the fall. If there is college football in the fall, I don't think the SEC is just going to fold up shop so easily and say we're not going to play any non-conference games. I mean, the SEC uh, is not going to be bullied by the big 10 or think that they have to do exactly what the big 10 and the PAC 12 does. Hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting because if you look at the non-conference schedules, no SEC teams were supposed to play uh, non-conference games against the big 10. So the big 10 saying they're not com- playing non-conference games. Well, that's fine for the big 10, but it has no, no bearing on the SEC. They weren't scheduled to play the big 10 anyway. And they only had two games scheduled against Pac-12 non-conference. Yeah. So the decisions of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 at this point have only canceled two SEC games. Now, I don't think you're going to see the SEC play its scheduled 12-game slate. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I do think that the SEC is not going to so easily um, just say, we're not going to play any non-conference games. If they can get you know, the, the Big 12 and the ACC on board, you could really play um, you know, your, your marquee non-conference game on your schedule. Um, I think that is a possibility still in play. I think Tennessee is, is considering that a possibility still in play with that Oklahoma game. Uh, and we'll see, but I, I do think, because if you look at it too, I don't think the SEC, the SEC is always, balked at the idea of going to a, a nine game conference schedule. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I guess the easy thing would be, we'll just cancel all the non-conference games on a nine game conference schedule. Um, you know, like you see in, in, in some other power five conferences and, and be done with it. Right? right. Well, I don't know that the SEC is going to want to do that. They've never wanted to get to go to a nine game conference schedule, even in a non pandemic year. And so I think what could be the more appealing option, if they can get, uh, the ACC and Big 12 on board would be to play the conference schedule as is and try to keep at least some sort of non-conference representation on there. Now, your games against Furman, your games against Charlotte, I'm not saying those are going to happen, but but I do think there's a possibility that that Tennessee and, and other SEC institutions uh, will continue to fight to, to keep games like Tennessee and Oklahoma still on schedule. Interesting. Well, this is more positive than I was expecting from you, Blake. I, I, this is this is interesting. It's, it's been very doom and gloom as of the last couple of days. And well, uh, there's yeah, you know, there's also the possibility that the SEC could just be last to the party. You know, I mean, yeah. that is certainly that's their plan. You know, right? Greg you. <laughs> I mean, that would kind of match with him, right? I mean, is yeah. going to be a very deliberate guy. And and the other thing is, from an optics standpoint, the SEC never wants to look like. Oh well, you know the Big Ten's going to do something, so we have to do that too. Like the SEC always kind of wants to assert its power mm-hmm. and and say like, well, we don't have to do something just because another conference is going to do it. You know, I mean, if you remember, Greg Sankey was saying this even back in the spring. CAA canceled the spring sports championships. Well, the NCAA canceled the spring sports championships, and the SEC was still entertaining 
at least for, for, I can't remember what it was now, it might've been a matter of days, maybe it was a couple of weeks, was still entertaining the possibility of continuing its spring sports season. Mm-hmm. Even though there was going to be no championship at the end of the season, Greg Sankey said, hey, you know, you, they can cancel the, the championships, but that doesn't mean our conference schedule's canceled. <laughs> and wow. I think at that time we were all kind of thinking like, really, you're going to play conference baseball games and a conference baseball tournament and <laughs> not have the... Um, the college world series. And of course that didn't come to pass, but yeah. um, so sometimes I think the, the SEC is just kind of last to the party so they can try to make this play of like, well, you know, you're not going to tell us what to do. We'll, we'll decide independently. And then they come around and make the decision that we all know they're going to make anyway. But I do think in this case, yeah, there is the possibility that the SEC is going to, going to fight to keep uh, some semblance of a non-conference schedule uh, on, on the docket. Interesting. Well, let's, let's move a little bit to the RB and wide receiver room. I, we focused on the quarterback room at Tennessee last week. Um, I want to ask you about specifically the wide receivers and the running backs at Tennessee right now. Um, we're, we're operating in the idea that football happens this fall. It's the only way to operate until they tell, tell us otherwise, I think. Um, Eric Gray has what kind of potential at Tennessee? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he's got real star power potential and, and we, we started to see that. Well, we saw flashes of it really throughout the season, but we really, I mean, it, it really just culminated in, in, in quite a manner for him last year as a freshman. I mean, he, he went wild against Vanderbilt uh, with over 200 yards rushing in that game. And then, you know, finished finished in style with being named the MVP of the Gator Bowl. And uh, I just think he, he's the most electric player on Tennessee's offense. He's, he's got the speed. He has the vision. He has the maturity, you know, last year, you always hear about you know, people always want to say that the freshmen are, Oh, they're wise behind their years and mature behind their years. And, and sometimes it's hyperbole. I think we're all guilty of that, but George like Pages in Eric Gray's case, George Pickens. George Pickens. I don't think that was, that was said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not always the case, but, um, mm-hmm. but, but in, in this case, it was actually true. Like th- this was a guy you felt like was a veteran, um, but was a, a true freshman. And I, I think he's primed, uh, to step into the, the bell cow role. I mean, if you look at what he did last year, he did what he did last year. Uh, I believe having the third most rushing attempts on the roster. Mm. Well, I, I think he's going to go from, from third to first this season. Uh, I mean, we've already had the, the dismissal of Tim Jordan. So one, one of those guys is, is, well, I shouldn't say dismissal, but Tim Jordan is no longer on the program, whether it was his choice or the program's choice. I can't definitively say, but yeah. in any event, Tim Jordan is gone. And so Eric Gray was already going to get more carries, but I think he's probably going to even move past Ty Chandler um, or, or at the very least, Senior you know, year. be a neck and neck scenario. So, <laughs> yeah, now I think Ty Chandler is going to be very much featuring the offense too. Honestly, we could see both their carries uptick, uh, with the departure of Jordan, but it's a good situation for Tennessee to be in. I mean, I, I really like their running back room. Um, I know we're going to talk about wide receivers here in a minute, but I think it's, it's kind of a, a contrast in, in the way I feel about two position groups. Like I think Tennessee's running back room is pretty solid, Whereas I think it's it's wide receiver room is faces a lot more question marks. Yeah, I was going to ask you which one you thought was stronger heading into the year because there's like a lot more I think intriguing upside in the wide receiver room, but like you feel better about the just what you have in Chandler and Gray, where you're like this is something I 100% know it's going to be fine. 
but there's maybe a little bit less upside as to what certain guys like maybe a Callaway can be. And like, um, it's just, it's interesting because it just depends on if you're at glass half full, glass half empty person. Um, what have coaches said? Yeah. And how much stock to put in freshmen as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just how much stock to put in to freshmen. I mean, that, that wide receiver room is, is going to be so dependent on, uh, on freshmen. So right. yeah, if you're one of those guys that, that, you know, think you can count on freshmen a lot and, and get, get hyped by that. then certainly, uh, I guess I, I tend to maybe be more of the conservative type and uh, like, You're especially not, you know, not having I let spring my wide receivers there, there you go. nine years yeah. before I can really be okay. With you. <laughs> um, what have coaches said about Grand Chandler? What do you think that they think? Well, I, the dynamic? I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good one. There, there's certainly, you know, no, no issues with, uh, you know, the fact that Graham might get a few more carries there. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because Chandler's a holdover from, from the Butch Jones era. And, you know, he was a guy that was highly touted, a, a, a really big, a big, big sign by Butch Jones. And I've always felt like Ty Chandler was a, was a good player, was a serviceable SEC running back. But I, I've just felt like there's, there's another level that I feel like we could see him reach, but it's getting to the point in his career where it's like, am I just wrong there? Like, are we not going to see him be that guy? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he's a good running back. Um, but you know, it was a couple of years ago that, uh, John Kelly was suspended for a, a game against, uh, Kentucky and Ty Chandler became the, the main running back in that game. It was a t- 2017 game, and he rushed for over 100 yards in that game for uh, it was his, his freshman season uh, and his first 100-yard game of his career. Said, well, he's going to have many, many more of those. And here we are now going into his senior season, and he has, I believe, 300 career 100, 100-yard rushing games. And, and so, I mean, he's been a nice, serviceable player, but – he just hasn't quite hit that ceiling that I guess I thought and, and many people probably thought he was going to get to. And so from that perspective, I think you kind of wonder like, okay, maybe this is who Ty Chandler is. He's a good running back. Who's, you know, maybe not a great running back. Whereas Eric Gray, um, you know, just showed so much potential last year. And you just wonder if that was him just scratching the surface. And, and um, now that's what I tend to think anyway, is that we, we might see, Eric Gray really be the guy this year. Interesting. How much do you think having a all five star offensive line helps Gray and Chandler in 2020? Well, undoubtedly that would be (laughs) a huge boost. I mean, we've seen, we've seen kind of the evolution of Tennessee's offensive line here in the last couple seasons, like in 2017, Butch Jones's final year, the offensive line was abysmal. There was no depth. Um, I mean, you know, there was, there was games where they were probably going into um, a Saturday where I don't even know if they had a full two deep uh, because of, of injuries and just lack of general lack of depth. And and, in terms of quality depth, (laughs) Dan was talking about beyond body, the quality. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, there was, there was nothing, but then in 2018, it got a little bit better. 2019, it became decent, not good, but decent. And now that offensive line is poised to be 
uh, I mean, one of the, one of the best in the SEC. I think when you look at you got Trey Smith there, uh, obviously one of the best linemen in college football. You have the two former five-star recruits in Wanya Morris and Darnell Wright. Now, sophomores after being freshman starters. Uh, if you get Cade Mays' waiver, there's another former five-star guy and a guy with two years of starting experience at Georgia uh, inserted into your line. And then you have six-year senior Brandon Kennedy returning as starting center. I mean, I just... I think it's a really solid line. It's a line that Tennessee hasn't seen the likes of in, in several years. Yeah. Um, what What have you heard about K. Mays? Because we just got the JT Daniels surprise uh, waiver granted, and he was obviously significantly later in the process than uh, Cade Mays. What's the, what do you think the holdup is there? Well, we've known in the past that Tennessee has been deliberate in like sending off the waiver that that was Hmm. one of the things that slowed down Aubrey Solomon's waiver last year. Uh, I can't say definitively that that is a play for Cade Mays. Uh, Some other media outlets have have reported that and I have no reason to dispute that. I I just haven't independently verified that, but with what we've seen from Tennessee in the past, uh, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily, that is not true. So uh, that that would stand to reason that that played out again. And, you know, I, I guess that causes fans, obviously, a lot of frustration. And frankly, it can cause me frustration because you can probably guess, like, I get a hand. There's a few questions I just hear all the time. Like, one, is the football season going to happen? It's like, well, I don't know anymore than <laughs> probably most people do. And two, it's is Cade Way is going to get his waiver or not? And it's like, I don't know, but I wish they'd hurry up and decide because uh, so it's one one. You're just like I, I want the question really to get stop. Over I want to talk but... about something else. I need you guys to step up <laughs> right. in this I... madness. I can't do it anymore. I don't care. I don't I... care about Cade Mays's future I, uh... anymore. I, I can't do it. When I put out my call for mailbag questions, sometimes I usually just lead with the preface of I don't know if Cade Mays is going to get his way. <laughs> I don't know any more than last week, but <laughs> no, but. Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of it is certainly the, the possibility that Tennessee has been deliberate here and it's like, well, I mean, why would you do that? I mean, on the one hand, um, maybe they thought, well, what's the point if the NCAA is going to train, change the transfer rule anyway? I mean, I think a lot of us uh, thought that that was probably going to happen back in, in May. It certainly seemed to be building more momentum. Well, then, um, you know, the NCAA kicked the can down the road on possibly changing its transfer rule until uh, January. They're going to reconsider it. And so, okay, that, because, you know, if they change the rule, it doesn't even need the waiver, but that option is now gone. And so now you got to proceed with the waiver. And so I think that's, that's certainly one possibility there. I, I've, I'm not one that usually kind of gets caught up in a lot of conspiracy theories. So like, I mean, every, every fan base, every, every fan base in the country thinks the NCAA is out to get them, you know, mm. the NCAA hates them or, or their conference hates them or the officials hate them. You know, it's like, uh, well, I'm, okay. Well, and everybody's on equal playing field, I guess, because the NCAA then hates every, every, every college in America. Um, and so like, I, I'm not one who subscribes this idea of like, well, the NCAA is just, you know, putting it to Tennessee again, they're going to make them, make them wait to the finish line. Like, it's like, you really think they're that diabolical? They care that much that they're going to be like, ah, we'll show Tennessee. We just won't rule on Cade Mays' waiver to the last minute. Like, I don't think there's anything orchestrated, uh, like that going on. And, um, I do think that there needs to be more transparency on the waiver process if this is the way we're going to continue going forward. I don't think it's going to be the way we continue. Um, but I do think there's a lot of inconsistency in the way 
the NCAA rules on waivers and it, and it makes it hard to kind of gauge, you know, whether, whether you really know whether a guy's going to get away or not. But in terms of, you know, if the, that the NCAA is like deliberately holding up this process, I, I don't think that's the case. Interesting. Um, Juwan Jennings, we mentioned him. How much do you think Tennessee is going to miss just having him around this fall? Well, a ton, especially on third downs. Um, but I mean, just in general, he was a, he was a comfort target for Jared Garantano. Uh, you know, a, a quarterback who, uh, you know, frankly has, has not always been comfortable during his career. I think that's part of Garantano's issues that is he, he's sometimes seems to just be a, a very uncomfortable guy in, in the pocket. And, and I can kind of get that a little bit because of how many hits he took his first couple seasons. I think that happens to a lot of quarterbacks, but you know, Jennings was that guy that I think could provide him some comfort just in knowing that like, this was a, uh, a just steady sure handed possession receiver that you could turn to, especially on third downs. Um, and he was reliable and, and, you know, they have Josh Palmer as a veteran receiver back this year, but, you know, he, he's more of a, of a downfield threat, um, a guy that could take the top off a of defense. He's, he's not really in any way like what Juwan Jennings provided, you know, whether it be in the red zone or on third downs or, you know, those times where you need that big, big physical, um, possession receiver that as a quarterback, you know, like, okay, I can, I can depend on this guy, uh, to move this. all together as a senior, especially with the offensive line being the best it's ever been during his career. Yes, agreed. Um, the offensive line's better. He's finally working with the same offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in back-to-back seasons, which he's never done before. All that is good. Um, what is bad is there's no Juwan Jennings. There's no Marquez Callaway. Um, and I don't... Last year. Gone. Yes. Yes. Huge. And, um, and, and I don't think there's any clear, sure answers there. I mean, there's promise. I, I really liked Ramel Keaton last year, uh, and, and what we saw from him as a freshman. I mean, you look at the star ratings and, and the highlight films of some of the freshmen that are coming in. It's like, yeah, sure. looks good. Um, but you don't have that, that years of, of working together to, to fall back on. I mean, if you think about, you know, the amount of time that, uh, Garantano had over the years working with Juan Jennings and Marquez Callaway. I mean, I mean, you kind of hit on it earlier, the, the Jennings especially, but Callaway too. I mean, they were just guys that seemed like they're in the program forever, and and Garantano has been the quarterback forever. So, you know, there was there was a lot of history there between those guys, and and now there's really not much of that. Last thing, I'll wrap up here. Jimmy Callaway, does he become Tyree Kill year one in Knoxville or no? We got to wait on him for a little bit. Because I've heard his speed. A little crazy. Also some uh, Loki D'Angelo yeah. type. He's, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think is a, a lot is expected of. But I would say, too, that he's not the only freshman wide receiver that, uh, that I'm curious to, to see. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking that Jalen Hyatt might be a guy mm. that, that really he might steps into the wide receiver room. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think so. So yeah, there, there's, 
there's a number of options there, and a number of them have really, really good speed. But I mean, I, in terms of the one I'm most curious to see, it would probably be Hyatt. But then again, who knows? I mean, you know, Hyatt was a guy that, for whatever reason, seems to have fallen under the heading of was he undervalued on the recruiting trail? You know, was this a guy that um, could have been, should have been ranked higher? than he was and who knows you know i mean sometimes this guy's a narrative and it turns out like i don't know they were ranked accurately and sometimes they're not and uh it's hard to say and, and jalen hyatt wasn't an early enrollee uh so we wouldn't have seen him anyway in the spring but you know at this juncture just not really seeing any of these freshmen so you're really going on uh these 40-yard dash clips that guys put on twitter and uh in, in the highlight film so it's hard to know but i would say if i was pointing to uh, like a, a freshman who really can make an impact at wide receiver. I'm curious about Hyatt. Okay, there we go. Blake, this has been great, very enjoyable. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, what can we check out from you this week at the Knoxville News Sentinel? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm going to have a breakdown this week on SEC finances where uh, programs fared in terms of uh, revenue. Of course, these were in sunny day, sunnier times for athletic departments uh, when they weren't worried about whether they're going to have a football season, but uh, those numbers are in. So uh, we'll have, have that uh, on this line. And then I'm probably also going to uh, just take sort of a, a whimsical look of if the SEC were to go to a nine game schedule, which I don't know is going to happen, but if they were, who would Vols fans want to be that extra SEC team on the docket that is not currently on the schedule? Um, and you probably could have a good guess as to who Vols fans I think would like to see this year. So. Who is it? <laughs> There's a certain coach back in the league that uh, you know left in uh, really no, memorable terms about ten no, years ago. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't want Ole Miss. That's a no. That's a trap. I, 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 I want no part of that. I think they're going to be sneaky good. I would, I would say no. Tennessee yeah. has like, when you looked at the schedule before the season started, like if it was a twelve game schedule, like nine wins is very much doable. Like this is a very doable schedule. But um, I, it, I would not want any part of Oxford and Ole Miss in your like. No, no, no. Who's left? If you're searching for wins, I'm I'm sure I, I would either. I mean, you got you got uh, Auburn's on schedule, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, uh, A and M, and LSU. So if you're All searching for wins, so I'm gonna I'd guess say, the only option for me, if I'm a ten- like, I guess as a fan, I would prefer Ole Miss. Of the, actually, no, I prefer Mississippi State of those four. And then that's what I'd viewer, say. Yeah, if you're searching for wins, I'd, I'd say go State. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then as a viewer, Texas A and M. Just because I would like to see what that okay. looks like. I would like to see Jimbo and Calamon versus Tennessee. I would like to see how close those two teams are because I think their programs are in similar spots right now. Um, Blake, this is... It was interesting. I, I pulled about a... Uh, yeah, just a final thing. I pulled like 130 Tennessee fans that are mm-hmm. part of a, a text group that I have. They're, they're, they're plugged in fans. They're really knowledgeable, knowledgeable people. And I put that question out to them. And like over 50% said, bring on the lane train. And then... A lot of the other ones, though, that didn't vote for Ole Miss were like, no, we want nothing to do with Lane Kiffin and, and uh, Ole Miss. So it was very much one way or the other. Either they, they really wanted Ole Miss or it's like, uh, no, no thanks at all. <laughs> what you wish for. I think Kiffin's going to be good there. And I think Ole Miss is going to be sneaky uh, good this year. So I, I would rather, I would bet against 
Old Miss have a bet for uh, Mississippi State. But there we go. Blake, thank you so much for the time, sir. Go read Blake at knoxnews.com. Blake, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. back on the chase Jones podcast shit that's not the name of this podcast that's not the name of our specific brand john taylor no it's jonathan taylor thomas talks major league baseball what a goof i'll never get over this you know i was really really hoping you forgot about that (laughs) somehow Um, you didn't unbelievable i almost i I would have gotten away with it with it too it wasn't for those kids um john good evening sir how are you doing can't complain it's a very pleasant balmy uh wednesday evening here in new york very nice i've never is balmy good is that a good way to describe an evening balmy balmy's good balmy's good because it's been really humid but now it's not as humid so it's good interesting okay I'm going to say that to somebody and see how they respond. They're like, I had a great night. It was balmy, and I want to see what their face does. That that matters to me. Well, you know, it, it's a term to mean that talks about the weather, right? Yeah, I just, I, I'm having a balmy evening. Like, it's a balmy evening. Like, it's a it's a hot evening outside, or it's a balmy evening outside. Like, it's a, uh, I don't know. Balmy just has a negative connotation to it. Don't like it. I might just be watching too much Kirby enthusiasm lately, and I'm just getting a lot of Larry Davidisms out of my system. Maybe that's maybe that's what's happening here. Yeah, I was I was gonna say this. This sounds very Larry David. Well, I've been um, one of my good friends called me a social assassin months ago in our friendship with something I like. the The lack of a filter sometimes definitely goes hand in hand. Larry David's a little over the top with his. Um, he more. He 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 doesn't know when to like walk away from stuff. Or like he'll do like a seven minute back and forth with something where he just and then I'll end it with okay. But see, I will wrap up in thirty seconds. I don't have the patience. Like I don't have the patience to to argue those things. That well, sure. Because Larry Larry David is the HBO George Costanza. You know? Yes, but I think he's better than that. I think like Seinfeld never made me audibly laugh. Did it ever make you audibly laugh? Okay. Curb, um, I like I come close to tears sometimes with Curb. Like I never came that close with Seinfeld. Seinfeld's like, oh, I'll smile at something. Like, oh, that's it's, it's adorable. But like, I never audibly laugh like the way I do with Curb. Curb is Curb in Silicon Valley. I probably and maybe Broad City are like the three shows that I will always audibly laugh watching. Like it actually brings it out of me. Those are all solid comedy options. How would you rank those, John? I, I don't know what your TV and music t- and movie taste is like at all. Uh, you know, honestly, like I've only watched Curb here and there. I've never, never actually devoted time to it. Um, you mentioned what was the other one you mentioned besides that in Broad City? Uh, Silicon Valley. 
I never watched Silicon Valley. Oh, you would love Silicon. Valley, I heard it was. I, I heard it was funny, but I just I never. The thing is, since I don't have HBO, mm. um, I never. There's there's really no way to watch it. Um, sure. Broad City, I enjoyed. I, I kind of I kind of fell off Broad City a little bit toward the end. Yeah. Um, it kind of it's kind of starting to feel a little stale for me. But the first couple seasons that were very very funny. Bevers will never not crack me the fuck up. Um. All right, well, this is an easy transition because most people, when they're talking about Broad City, they transition to um, Julio Tehran and Dylan Bunny conversations. So this works out perfectly. Um, yeah, seamless. Flawless. Exactly. I'm a professional, John. Um, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Just a, just a mouthful of a name. What do we think of them in 2020? Um, another team like the Padres where I would have felt a little better about them if we had gotten expanded playoffs as part of the, as part of the new season, because this is definitely a team that feels a 500 club that could be a little better and 500 is probably going to be enough to get it done in the division, especially not in this division or in the AL wildcard race, unless something, unless a lot of things go wrong for other teams. But they're, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you start with Mike Trout, and that's already an insane advantage over everybody else. You have a healthy Shohei Otani, who's going to be a two-way player again until one or the other doesn't work, and that's an insane advantage over everyone else. They got Anthony Rendon, which is a thing they needed to do because third base has been just a disaster for them for the last few years running, and he is uh, one of the top five third basemen in baseball. I don't really think there's any debate about that. The issue you run into with the angels. Oh, and they have Joe Adele. They have Joe Adele coming up. You know, he's probably, I assume he will be playing at some point this season. It would be kind of weird not to, um, I would rather have him running out there full time than Brian Goodwin. Brian Goodwin strikes me more as a guy who's just kind of a good bench piece more than anything else. The problem you run into with the angels is as always, seemingly always is the rotation is behind Otani. There's just a lot of just big ass question marks. Uh, the bullpen, a lot of question marks to talent. I mean, Somehow Hansel Robles is a closer now, which <laughs> it worked. I really don't understand that one, but it works. And between Ty Buttry and Keenan Middleton and Cam Bedrosi, and there's some guys, there's some good arms out there, you know, who can, who can get some strikeouts. They're just, you know, untested. And then there's really not much depth on this team. You look at their bench, there's really not a whole lot there that you're kind of feeling good about. I mean, some of that Tommy Listella, I imagine, will be, if he's not the, the regular second baseman, he'll be kind of bouncing around the infield which is obviously a, a useful piece to have. And if Adele does come up, Goodwin is a pretty good fourth outfielder to have. But, you know, you're talking guys like Luis Rangifo, Taylor Ward, you know, Matt Dice. Like, and and the, the Angels, you know, the, the their farm system has some intriguing stuff, but a lot of it is not really ready yet. Um, their, their next best prospect behind – or sorry, their next best position prospect – uh, behind Adele is, I believe it's one of their teenage outfielders. It's um, where is he? Where is he? Here you are. Uh, well, mm, I was gonna say it's it's probably Jumai Jones, um, or it might be or Jordan Adams. But neither of those guys are really anywhere close to the majors right now. Um, so I think there's there's you know there's a question there of like. You know, if if someone gets hurt, what does this team do? And someone is going to get hurt because someone always gets hurt. But on the on paper, at least, there there is a lot to like. 
I just don't think that they have the depth, especially in starting pitching necessary to be anything more than a 500 team. And that would have looked a lot better when there was that one extra playoff spot up for grabs. And now that it's, you know, the standard two wild card teams, and you can pretty safely assume that one of those two wild card teams is going to be either the Rays or the A's, or is going to be one of, I mean, I think the safe bet is one wild card team will be whoever loses out on the AL East and the other wild card team will be whoever loses out on the AL West. And it's going to be pretty hard for the angels. to. I mean, their real competition is Tampa Bay and Oakland, assuming Houston beats out the A's, which is not a given as we've talked about, but Houston's probably the favorite right now. And I don't think that they have what's what, what they need. I don't think they have what's necessary to overtake either of those two teams, but you never know. It's a short season. Lots of crazy stuff can happen in a short season, especially if you have, superstar players along the lines of Trout and Otani and Rendon who, you know, if they get hot for a 60-game stretch, you know, you're already talking about a one or two win change over your projected record. And I think Fangraphs has them, um, I think Fangraphs has them as, as roughly a 500 team. That would not surprise me in the least. Because um, ultimately that's, that just feels like what the Angels are, which honestly, like, granted, that is an improvement from last year. And that's an improvement from where they generally are, which isn't that, Kind of seven. Ingress has them as 30 and 30 projected with 25% of the playoffs. And that sounds about right to me. A one in four shot. For a roster that's heavy, has some talent, but has some depth issues, that sounds about right to me. Do you think having the kind of thin rotation that they do with, I just, I still can't believe Julio Tehran and Dylan Bundy are two guys they're going to have to count on this year at the top of the rotation. Um, that's what I, I, I can because it's the Angels. But, like, it's just some random David Roth. Remember these guys? Like, A, Tehran just not starting opening day for the Braves anymore. It's just going to take some getting used to because he was just, like, the bleh, just throw him out there guy for the last four years. Um, him just being on another team is weird, but uh, I'm glad to move on from that experience. And then uh, Dylan Bundy just, hey, sure. Let's go for it. Like, it's just such a weird rotation. Do you think they're actually helped or hurt? Hurt? Ugh. Are they helped or hindered, excuse me, from uh, a shortened season where um, you, it, I just, they have more options, more in-house options, more opportunities to just throw different people out there. Like, what do you think? Yeah, and I think this is something where if this had been a regular 162-game season, you probably are fading the Angels a little bit because that's a rotation that's got a lot of guys with injury problems. And where there, there's just like, it's, it's all kind of the same depth. It's all the same guy. They're all number four starters. Like Andrew Haney has, has like top rotation upside, but it's very inconsistent. Bundy is someone who I genuinely do believe getting out of Baltimore, not just getting away from the Orioles and what, whatever it is they've done to him, um, but getting out of Baltimore, getting out of the AL East, getting out of having to face the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays and the Blue Jays over and over and over again with a horrible team behind him in every regard. I think that'll help. And I think certainly Bundy is a guy where, um, you know, some smart coaching might be able to unlock. I mean, this is a one. Bundy was a fantastic high school pitcher or college pitcher. Sorry. Um, a, a high draft pick, a high prospect at one point, like it's been a while. Like he's 27. His career has existed for a bit and he doesn't throw particularly hard, which is, not, you know, not a great sign going forward, but he has a fastball with a lot of spin. He's pretty good at avoiding hard contact. Um, 
He's got some good secondary offerings in a slider and a changeup that, you know, you, you, you can see the pieces there where you, he could be something of use if the right coaching gets him. And I don't know if that's the, the Angels necessarily. They don't really have a good track record with that. But at the same time, like, I mean, think about what they were dealing with last year. The, the corpse of Matt Harvey, uh, Trevor Cahill kind of on his last legs, you know, guys like Tehran where there really isn't much upside left. And the thing with Tehran is he has his value in that he is someone who in a, um, in a full season, he can give you 160 pretty decent innings. And he'll do that weird thing where for a month he'll be completely untouchable. And then for a month he'll be just flaming garbage. Um, and I, I wonder if there's a certain, if that kind of variance just makes him less valuable overall because you can't count on him start to start. But because you kind of know in the back of your head that there's going to be a four or five start stretch where he's just going to get torched every night out. But I don't know. The, the upside really belongs to guys like Griffin Canning and Otani. You know, those are the two number one type pitchers in that rotation right now. The problem is, obviously, Otani's coming off the Tommy John. You really don't know necessarily what that's going to look like in, in game situations. I think he's only pitched a couple times in, in Angels camp. Um, and obviously, you know, who knows what that means. In terms, I mean, he's healthy. He's, he's able to throw. That's a good sign. And certainly he showed the kind of stuff when he was healthy that, does, that makes you think, like, if he is healthy again, he's, you know, he, he's someone who I really, and I don't know if we're going to talk more about Otani, but given the possible impact of a two-way player in a 60-game season, he's someone I really, really like as a dark horse MVP candidate um, mm. because he can really make a difference in two ways. But obviously he's coming off the Tommy John, so you don't really know how much, He's, you know, what he's going to look like. And then with Canning, he had elbow problems in the spring that looked like they were going to shut him down for probably half the season. As it turns out now, he looks like he's healthy and ready to go. So on the one hand, like, it's a good thing for them that they have this short season because they're not going to be asking for too much out of Otani. Canning is not going to have too much put on his arm. You know, Haney, a, a guy who, uh, as noted, has an issue someone who is not not necessarily reliable in terms of being able to. I mean, last year he only managed 95 innings. Uh, two years before that, it was, it was only 22 because of some injury stuff. But he did throw 180 in between there. So, you know, maybe this is something we're having to throw those fewer innings. I think like we were talking about with the Padres is good because there's just less strain put on these guys. You know, in a full season, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that rotation. In a short season, I feel a little better. The problem is if one of those guys gets hurt, and I know Tehran's already starting the season on the injured list because – and I, it's undisclosed, but that's you know pretty much just every team's way of saying he's COVID positive. Um, either he is sick or recovering or needs to you know obviously test negative or whatever it is. But he's already behind now, and I, he's almost certainly not going to start the season with the team. He's almost certainly going to be like a week or so behind, which is you know already a lot in a sixty-game season. There, there's just not a lot of depth there if something goes wrong. If Canning's elbow starts bothering him, or if something goes wrong with Otani or Haney or Bundy gets hurt early on. You're asking a lot from guys like, you know, Jaime Berea or Patrick Sandoval. And those aren't bad pitchers necessarily, but they're not really guys you want to be relying on right now, you know? And, and I think that's the issue that that the Angels kind of continually run into, that their pitching development or their pitchers are just really not there yet. You know, they have some in, semi-intriguing guys lower down in their system, but we're talking like A-ball, double-A, like... Um, Jose Soriano, but he's hurt. A um, couple of their, you know, a couple of their international signings have some interesting stuff. You know, they throw hard. Um, of the guys in their player pool, though, 
honestly, there really isn't anyone that looks all that interesting. I mean, they, they yeah. just signed Jacob Rehm the other day. That dude was too bad for the Mets bullpen. Like, <laughs> there's, not great, Bob. there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of pitching depth here. And that I think is, maybe you can live with that in a short season, but the moment a guy like Hanning or Otani gets hurt, then you're re- the, the drop from them to a guy like Berea or Sandoval, maybe not so much Sandoval because he is, he has some intriguing stuff, but we got like Berea or Matt Andrees or, you know, whoever it happens to be, it's kind of a steep drop. And and that's the problem that the Angels got to rinse. And I know they, they did a lot of opener stuff last year because they literally couldn't keep anyone healthy and that just did not really work out for them. They don't really seem to have either the re- the relievers either to do uh, kind of an opener type strategy. It, just, it never really seemed to work for them last year. Does Joe Madden help at all? Does he move the needle up or down? I, I don't even know. With Joe Madden quotes, who I don't really know, say. It, it, yeah. it's impossible to tell with Joe Madden just because he's such a just silly goofus. Like, I don't, I, I honestly don't know because it really did seem like by the end of his time in Chicago, and I know we talked about this a bit when we did the Cubs, like, it, it just seemed like everyone had tuned him out there. And I think that's just an, in, an inherent part of the Joe Madden experience is that he just kind of wears out his welcome after a certain point because all his shit, all his kind of, you know, his whole Joe Madden thing, just he's not <laughs> built for the long run. And I don't know, maybe in a, in a, with a new team, a fresh clubhouse, you know, back where he started his career, maybe, maybe there's some value there. I don't know. But I mean, the thing you worry about with, with a guy like Joe Madden is, is, is bullpen management. Um, you, you really need to give him a bullpen with horses. Like you saw what happened with the Cubs bullpen last year when they just didn't really have the arms available for him to be able to make his, you know, 18 pitching changes a game, like constant reliever roulette thing. Um, And I don't know that the Angels bullpen is good enough to do that, especially, you know, in a 60 game season, those relievers are pitching a lot. You know, it's a short season that you're not asking them to do a whole lot. They're going to be asked to put, especially with pitchers are a little behind, which seems kind of are to a certain degree or if they want to protect starters, they're going to be going to those relievers a lot. So I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. I don't think he's going to hurt them necessarily. Um, it's almost like too short a season for his bullshit to wear thin that quickly. But I don't know. I, I, I just don't know if the Joe Madden magic really exists anymore. Like, you know, yeah, he led the Cubs to that world series. That Cubs team was also super talented. There was so much talent on that team. Like I, a monkey could have managed them to a world series win. So I don't necessarily believe that Madden is any kind of wizard. I don't think he's going to come in there and, and magically make this team five games or five wins better or something. But I mean, why not? It's it certainly, you know, Brad Austin certainly didn't work. This team doesn't, is not, you know, that, that, that experiment was kind of a failure. You know, maybe, maybe a guy like Madden is what they need. So who can be a little looser. So the feel you always kind of got with Osmus was that teams just played really tight and weird under him. Yeah. You know, just a lot of bad mental mistakes, but then again, the Cubs seem to make a lot of bad mental mistakes last year and also the season before. So, so the Cubs we shall see. But I, I, the other thing is, like, I personally just can't stand Joe Madden as someone who's been an a, a Red I Sox fan. And so I There's to, real vitriol coming out of New York right now. John, you are, you're bringing heat on Joe Madden. Whole thing Have you talked to him In the AL East for so long and just how tiresome he is? Have I what? When you were cut, when, like, when, uh, have you... When you've covered baseball, have you talked to him? Have you encountered Joe Madden in person yet? 
I feel like I've interviewed him once, but it was for, yeah. it was just to get some quotes about a player, and mm. so I just talked to him for maybe two minutes, and he was perfectly fine and 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 nice. But and I think I probably uh, sat in or stood around or whatever whatever action verb I was doing for one of his winter meetings press. Conference. I'm almost positive I did for the last winter meetings press conference he did as Cubs manager before the, the 2019 season. Mm, okay. um, it's fine, like it's it's just not for me. It's just it's grating <laughs> after a certain point. Constant bullpen moves and the 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 force shtick and like oh everyone everyone just like so many writers seem so eager just to like build the monument to Joe Madden because he's quirky and he gives weird quotes and it's like who cares you know who who really cares so I, I don't know but sure maybe he'll be great I don't know it's it's Joe Madden it seems like he just seems like a perpetual double edged sword so oh man fire. From John Taylor and Joe Madden, just scorched earth there. Thanks for ensuring that he's never going to be on my podcast, John. Yeah, you are welcome. It would take forever. Just knowing <laughs> knowing interviews he's done with other writers where he just will not stop talking. Mm. So you are welcome, <laughs> John. I got Joe. I got to go. Uh, we got to we got to wrap. So then, in 1997, I was coming up, and we were done, and you're like, no, yeah, I can seriously, see. that's what it was going to be. Okay, I guess so. Um, friend of the pod, Fangrass writer Dan Sembrowski did his um, 10 guys trending up, 10 guys trending down, and uh, some bad news for Angels fans. There's one player on the Angels who made the cut of trending down and likely to not figure it back out, and just like just he's just bad now. Who would you guess he, he had there? Unless you read it. I, I didn't read it, which is actually funny because I probably tweeted it. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I probably... That was like a week ago, so there's also a good chance I just forgot. Um, I want to say like Pujols and Upton, but honestly, they haven't been good for Pujols hasn't been good for literally four years now, and Upton has just been hurt too often to be good. Um, hmm. Andrelton Simmons? No, it was a, you. You you should have trusted your gut. It's Justin Upton. Okay, it was just okay. That, that feels a little unfair, just because Upton has just been hurt so much, but. Well, his power's yeah, gone, he's which is the problem. Like, I was looking at this guy. Yeah, gone, it's just, it's which gone. Is an issue. Like, the last two seasons, he's just not hit for power. Last season, he didn't even hit for average. He, he's swinging and missing way too much. Yep. Um, you worry, especially now that he's, he's turning, he, t- he turns 33 in August. Yeah. At the end of August. He's been in the league. This will be season number 14 for him, because obviously he debuted when he was a teenager still. But... There is a lot of wear and tear on his body. He has really, really struggled to stay healthy the last few years. Defensively, he is just not to the point where if if not for the existence of both Pujols and Otani, you, if you were the Angels, if you were Joe Madden, you would probably consider making him your permanent age because he is just a brutal defensive outfielder at this point. Uh, his speed is gone. You know, he doesn't steal bases and he, he never was like a huge base stealer. He only, you know, in the teens to twenties, but you know, he doesn't steal bases anymore. His speed seems to have just disappeared as well. Yet yeah, there, there's not a whole lot to love about Justin Upton right now. The nice thing so is I can totally Brian see where Dan's there, right? from. Is that, is it like just Brian Goodwin got his power? Did he steal Justin Upton's power space jam style? I was going to say, is that what happened? Did he touch a, a glowing baseball that had that had Elton's like skills in it or whatever? It's possible, right? Yeah, there's just there's just like uh, Justin Elton's strikeout rate last year was thirty percent. 
that's really bad. That's really, really bad. <laughs> like, he's not hitting the ball hard anymore. He's swinging and missing too much. Like, he's not <clears throat> the, the one you really worry about. He's not hitting fastballs well. Like, he's starting to get beat by fastballs. That's where you really start to worry. Because um, this is a dude who just punished fastballs back in the day. You could not sneak one by him, and now it's now it's not the same. So this is what, and this is part of why I think Adele is a sooner rather than later type situation. I know I mentioned maybe him taking over the spot for Goodwin, but maybe it's taking over for Upton. You know, maybe it's Upton becomes a bench batter. Again, the problem though is that both Pujols and Otani leave that team so inflexible in being able to use either the DH spot or first base yeah. as somewhere kind of else just to plop Upton. That I mean, granted, like on the one hand, you have Shohei Otani in lineup. That's good. On the on the downside, he's hitting a DH all the time. So yeah. you really can't do anything with Upton except run him out there every day. I mean, I, I do think it's probably just in, inevitable that he just gets hurt at some point. Could you I don't know. Maybe first? maybe Could if he he's healthy now, because I know bench Pujols, can you do that? I don't know if he's ever played it in his career. Yeah. I, I certainly don't think he's ever played it as a as a major leaguer. Maybe maybe way back in the day in high school or in the minors, but that now we're talking 15 years ago. I really really doubt the Angels are going to try to run him out there in the middle of a season to do that. Yeah, but I mean I don't know. The thing is, like the injury that he had last year was, I believe, a foot injury, some kind of toe situation, which obviously probably affected his ability to plant, um, which obviously affects your power. And your just the ability to hit generally. So I don't know. Maybe maybe if that foot's healthy, maybe he looks more like the Justin Upton of old. But the, the, that is a, an issue for the Angels. If he goes out there and it is the Justin Upton of 2019, what do you do? Do you bench him and just play Goodwin all the time and just try to see if Adele is ready? Because there's really nowhere else to put him, you know. And even when he is out there, even if he is healthier and hitting better, he's still not good enough to. He's still a problem defensively. And granted. That's made up to a certain degree by Mike Trout, who is not the best defensive center fielder in baseball, but pretty damn good. But yeah, Upton is a concern. Upton is a concern going forward. Um, you know, he—they he, need him to be better this year, especially given that he is still under contract two more, for two more seasons for fifty some million dollars. Like, not only is he going to be better this year, he needs to prove that there's still something left, or else the Angels have yet another huge amount of money owed to a guy who is just replacement level at best right now he was traded to the Braves seven years ago it's a long time that's insane to me I just pulled that I was like there's no way it's been that long but then you do the math you're like that was the Frank Granton I guess yeah this is before Capilano it was was five and a half years ago good god that's why Max Reed was just an apple cheek prospect Max Reed wasn't even born <laughs> Max wild. Reed, two Peters, Max Reed, two Petersons, and Malik Smith. What a what a weird package. That um, crazy times. Um, it's amazing we've talked a lot and we haven't really mentioned Rendon, who they just signed. They just they won the sweepstakes. He preferred a different part of LA, if people recall. He yeah. did. He didn't want to be part of those dirty liberals of Hollywood. <laughs> Which is funny because obviously, like Dodgers, the Dodgers are nowhere near Hollywood. Like Chavez yeah. Ravine is nowhere near Hollywood. Which um, but yeah, it's. I, I think there's honestly not that much to say about Rendon because he's just so good and so consistent and so underrated and so quietly good. And part of that is because he just never talks. I, I, I deeply admire how little of a shit he seems to give in terms of like interviews, media. He just <laughs> wants to play baseball and be left the hell alone. And sometimes I don't even think he likes baseball all that much. He just realizes he's good at it. 
I think he, I think he likes the sport. I just don't think he likes the demands of being a professional baseball player with regards to like media and availability and kind of visibility. Um, I think he would much prefer, and that's the sense I've gotten from talking to, to people who covered him on the nationals, which is he could be a perfectly nice guy. He's involved in charities. He's a good dude overall. He just really doesn't want anything to do with actually talking about himself. You know, like, it's funny. If you ever talked to that, if you ever talked to nationals PR about talking to Rendon, they, they would always basically just laugh. Cause they're like, he, he's not, he's not going to want to talk, you know? And so, I mean, that, that ends up creating a profile for him where you just, you never really think about him, but he really legitimately is one of the five best third basemen in baseball he can hit and he can play the, and he played defense and he's great at both of them. And so He's exactly what the Angels needed. He's exactly what they had to do this offseason. You could argue that they had to they had to come out of this offseason with one of two guys. Ideally, both, but one of two had to happen. It had to be either Rendon or Garrett Cole. And they, they missed out on Cole because the Yankees offered more money than God. So, you know, there's only so much you can really do in that end. Rendon was a very good consolation prize. The middle of that lineup is frightening right now with Trout, Rendon, and, and Otani. Um it's it's just it's like it's a it's the exact it's to me it reminds me of when the Red Sox signed JD Martinez and I was like yeah that's the perfect fit that's like that that was that it had to happen it would have been stupid if it didn't happen and granted there are other teams that could have used Rendon too like the Rangers who I believe were were obviously part of that conversation definitely could have used Rendon um, the Dodgers Dodgers didn't need Rendon but he certainly would have made them a really really interesting team but. Yeah, it's it's just something where he's a perfect fit on that team. He's a perfect fit on that roster. He's a perfect lineup. He is really kind of to me. He he is so much of why I do feel like there actually are a dark horse contender. It's not just because it's not just Trout and Otani now. No, there's a legitimate there's a legitimate third bat there, and he makes the left side of that infield with Angelton Simmons probably the best in baseball defensively. I'm not sure who else has two defenders of that tier. On the same on the same on the left side of the infield together, I'd, I'd have to think about that one. No, no one is coming to mind immediately. Because mm. so, I mean, you, yeah. you have the other best, the other the other really good defensive third baseman in baseball are Matt Chapman and Nolan Arenado, but Marcus Semyon and Trevor Story are they're they're fine defense. Semyon especially, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this when we talked about the A. Semyon has really made a, a strong move toward becoming a better defender and story is a perfectly good one but Simmons might be the best defensive short I think Simmons is probably the best defensive shortstop in baseball and probably one of the best defensive shortstops ever you know you're talking about the well, air, the air to Austin Newcomb, Smith there that was not bad not a bad haul Nailed is Sean Newcomb one. a reliever now is that I know we're gonna get I, I know we're gonna get eventually so you can just be mad about Sean Newcomb and Mike Fulton Navitz and like all the other Braves pitchers who are just have not become what they were supposed to be. If you want, we can we can start talking about Brandon Beachy and, and Mike Miner too. I mean, I will never leave Mike Miner Island and his reclamation project in uh, Texas makes me happy. I was always a believer in Mike Miner. Injuries just kind of they ruin things. And Beachy, no, if you really want to get in the weeds, you can go Jair Jurgens. Who could forget? Oh, Jir Jurgens. Yeah, <laughs> I loved I loved him. He was he was solid. I had him I had him on a fantasy team his one good year. His he one really good year. he really came through for me. If you had told me he had like a three point was there even if you told me he had like a three point eight five ERA for like three seasons in Atlanta, I'd believe you. Yeah, that 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 two thousand nine season where he had a two sixty ERA, two hundred yeah. innings. It was a great season. I think I'm pretty sure I had him on a fantasy team that year. But regardless, uh 
what was I saying about the uh, about? We, oh yeah, Simmons. Yeah, the, the Braves. Yeah. Do we do we want to go to the Braves? Is there anything left to say about the Angels? I I, I like I said, well, I, I just my, think this is a five hundred by making me think about the Andrew Simmons trade, which was going to happen at some point, John. We had to bring it up. When we're it was going to happen. Yeah. There there are a lot of there are a lot of Braves trades for you to think of where you just kind of get sad and stare wistfully at a window. We could have had him and not Dansby Swanson. Like I was having a conversation about Dansby last night. The a sports radio guy here in Atlanta, big uh, name here, and um, good guy, but just going to bat for Dansby. He's batting ninth this year. He's going to bat ninth. If you just take away the the first round pick, number one overall, you would look at him like Jack Wilson. Like this is ridiculous. He's Clint Barmus. Do, do you Jack really Wilson. think? Do you really think that? That Atlanta sports radio is going to trash a white dude who went to Vanderbilt and is from Georgia? It's like all Braves fans, though. They're just like, he's solid. He's part of, if I see he's part of our core one more time, I'm going to throw my laptop out the window. No, he's not. He is not part of the core. You're not paying him once his contract's over. You are not paying for a guy who had like a 92 WRC plus last year and like an 80 the year before. He strikes out like, what? Like, no. Are you kidding me? Because he has a little more pop in his back. Braves talk is already off to a really strong start. <laughs> I'm so angry. Like, that was... I hate that conversation. The Dansby stuff is so stupid. It's like, you have your foundation pieces right next to him. You have Albies sitting right there. And you still look at at look, look at Dansby like, mm, he's just a, a gritty, he's a great defender, he does what we need to do. Great. Foundational piece. No, you are not signing a guy like Dancy Swanson to 15 years, you're not locking him up long-term. No, when Dancy can be appreciated it is when he's 35 playing for the Yankees and just a solid D.D. Gregorius type. There you go. That's fine. Maybe that's best case scenario. But that's not happening in his mid-20s now in Atlanta. The time for him to still develop into becoming a star is gone. That is over. Time to move on. Dansby is not a foundational piece. Once the contract's over, it's gone. Or if you want to trade him before that, for a solid arm, uh, a starting pitcher that we we just need because, I mean, there's just not a lot of depth there. We'll get into. Like, you do that immediately. You don't go, you don't hesitate because you're like, oh, there might still be something there with Dansby Swanson. No, there's nothing there. He stinks. It's fine. He's a great defender. He's Jack Wilson. Move on. It's ridiculous. You have Acuna. You have Albies. You have Freddie Freeman. You have good baseball players all around this team. And then you focus on the worst everyday player on this roster right now it's ridiculous yeah but but he's from georgia so god i felt good how, how did that come across it, it sounded a little unhinged but i could tell it's been building so a little unhinged a little bit yeah but come on man he's from georgia local boy stupid. of course I, they're gonna love him yeah i mean it it just nailed it with jeff francor just an a, the, the natural who could forget 15 years in Atlanta. Well, at least they have Ronald Acuna, so... Exactly! Just focus on the real stuff. You have maybe the best player in baseball in two years. Making nothing. I think I think he's in the real conversation for the best non-Mike Trout player in yes. baseball. It's him, it's Mookie, it's Cody Bellinger, it's... You know, there, there's some other guys there too, but Acuna's... I know I, know I joked about it that this is going to be a 60-60 season for Ronald Acuna, but like... <laughs> I mean, that dude does everything. Like, I, I love him. I love the way he plays. I love his. I love his flair. I love like he's just so so talented. It's frightening. 
I wonder if somebody's but, already written the column. Are we worried about Yasiel Puig's uh, impact being in the clubhouse with Acuna and Albies? Did, did you not it? see Jeff Schultz's column? Oh, no. I Jeff Schultz already it. wrote that column. No. He literally already wrote it. It came out yesterday. No. Or this I morning. I can't remember which. It was It was all about how Puig is going to be a bad influence on Acuna. Oh, no. It was, it was like the dog oh, whistles no. coming off that thing were just deafening. Oh no! I didn't even what? know. It already happened. I, I thought we were. I thought we would get at least a week. I thought we would get to at least opening day before that column happened. I mean, we were texting about like when Joe Simpson was going to get in trouble, but no, oh, Jeff Schultz beat him to the punch. <sighs> Mission accomplished. Yeah, we we oh. the bad guy. Week is already the bad guy. In <laughs> he hasn't even officially signed. I don't think. <laughs> He just doesn't have that kind of grit that Nick Marcakis brought to the table. Not that kind of team leadership. Oh boy, that's of all the of all the supposed like character like going from like Marcakis to Puig is just like that is red meat for a certain for a certain section of the fandom. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh my god! But, uh, now I got to read this column and get off this call. I'm going to be hesitant to read this column, but I now I need to know, um, and I'll text you about it. Um. Which brings us to the Atlanta Braves. Um, actually, last thing on the Angels. Do we think they're making the playoffs? Do you, do you think they're making the playoffs this year? Because if not... No, I don't think so. Okay, I think, well, I, happy trails, uh, Billy Epler. Because that's it. Yeah, I I, I, I I, would say because of the circumstances of this, of this season, I think he might be safe. But I, if there has been a full season and the Angels missed the playoffs, I would agree with you. Guaranteed he's one. If missed the playoffs this year... I think it depends. If they miss by like a game, I think that's one thing. If they're a below 500 team, he's gone. I don't think it matters at all in the game season that there's whatever. I think that's not a team that can finish below 500. There's too much talent, too much good stuff on paper for that to be a to be a below 500 team. So I, I would agree with you that if they miss the playoffs, with the caveat that if they miss the playoffs because they're below 500, then Epler's gone. I think if they're in the chase till the end of it, maybe he can serve. Maybe he can convince them. Give me one more functional good year a full season and then we'll see but i don't know Artie moreno's weird and we, we didn't even talk about the 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 jock peterson trade oh, non-trade that's oh 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 we have to talk about the the Artie moreno just being we, like this is taking too long i got a I got a plane to catch we gotta we gotta wrap this shit up boy not only would jock peterson have helped but boy ross stripling would help absolutely ross stripling is a perfect fit for that angel team as a guy who can be a reliever or a starter Peterson obviously is a just. I mean, granted, they already have the lefty bat and Brian Godwin. We just so, solved the Justin Upton you know, problem by adding Peterson. I guess. I guess the only problem then you run into is well, now you have Trout, oh Trout, uh, uh, Peterson, Goodwin, Upton, and Joe Adele hang out in the wings with Pujols and Otani, like we said, blocking first base and DH. And Peterson is a platoon bat at this point. Or not at this point, but that, that's how the Dodgers have used him, and that's probably the best way to use him. He can hit lefties a little, but he's definitely a better bat against righties. So, I don't know. It, it would have made things a little more complicated, but certainly like it's, not a, it's certainly not a bad idea to have more players who are good on your roster. And Artie Moreno blowing that trade up just because he got tired of waiting for the Red Sox and the Dodgers to finish their part of the trade, and the Dodgers and the Twins to finish their, to finish their own, the small Kent and Nata deal. Definitely ranks as one of the more like kind of bone 
only took away two useful players. It only cost you Luis Rengifo, who's an okay backup infielder. It's Artie Moreno, man. He he's just not very good. Like just one of those meddling kind of like just one of those dudes where you just you only, if you're the GM, you, only, you probably wish you could just tell him shut up and go away. Let me just do my job, please. Instead of just haranguing me about like money and stuff like that. Because that really would have been a good trade for the Angels. And it would have made them a better team. I don't know if it would have made them a playoff team, but it would have made them a better team. And especially in a 60-game season, every single win is going to is gonna count so much more. How much better off are you with Ross Stripling and Jock Peterson than Luis Rangifo and whoever Ross Stripling would have replaced on that roster? Probably a lot better. Strong mustache energy from him. It's a very good mustache, I will say for that. He's got that going for him. But he just doesn't have time. Maybe that's where he was going. He was like, I gotta get, get this trimmed. I don't, I don't have time for this. Um, gotta wrap this shit up. Um, well, it's gonna be interesting. I think the Angels will be fascinating. And I'm also... Clairvoyant Chase. I... What if Trout just doesn't play? Like, I think I'm leaning towards him not playing. Boy, was that like can you imagine the major league baseball's best team best player just saying nah i'm good i i think he's going to because i think i wonder if he's getting worse i wonder if there's behind closed doors where they're like you got to do this i understand that you don't want to do this but the vibe i've gotten is i don't think he wants to i don't think he wants to i think a lot of players probably do not want to and i think if we had continued to see the same like serious test issues that we saw over the over the first week summer camp stuff i think you probably would have seen him say this safe i'm out but it does seem like teams have gotten at least from speaking better you know so far teams have avoided any kind of major outbreak we will see obviously how long that lasts once they start traveling but i think trout is gonna i think he's gonna play i think you're right i think there's probably been a lot of behind the scenes conversations about like you know especially because if he doesn't play, this Angels team is dead in the water. Right. And certainly that doesn't mean that Mike Trout has to sacrifice not only his safety, but the safety and health of, you know, his wife and his unborn child. But yeah, this, this team goes nowhere without Mike Trout, obviously. And this is the closest they've been to a playoff team since they won the AL back in 2014. And I think that's a hard thing probably for someone like Trout to walk away from is the idea that this team is better than it has been for literally years. And who knows if it's going to be, you know, who knows what next year is going to bring. Especially if I have to imagine, too, that every player in the back of their mind is thinking, you know, we don't know what next season is going to look like because it's going to depend on whether or not there's a vaccine, uh, whether or not, you know, COVID is still a problem. And then we are invariably going to get a lockout uh, once CBA, once once the CBA expires that at the after, during that offseason. So, I have to imagine there are a lot. I mean, and then I don't know if it's obviously not the same situation for guys like, you know, I don't know if you saw Kike Hernandez saying today that he didn't want to play, but he felt like he could, he had to because he wouldn't get service time if he opted out and he's a year away from free agency. But, and obviously that's not Trout's, you know, Trout is not in that, in that, it doesn't face that issue because he has that gigantic contract he's set for life. But I do think it's, it's probably hard for them for any of these guys to walk away from a season if you're on a team that's going to contend, especially if, if it does seem like things have gotten better with the testing. Maybe, I mean, maybe there's, there's probably still an element of, I don't know about this, but we'll see. Let's, let's give it a shot. But we'll see. 
I, I, I too think that it's not 100% the Mike Trout plays, but I, I do think he does end up playing in, in the end. I would love to get some true serum of, like, how much has baseball behind the scenes told you? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, unfortunately, you're the best player in our Yeah, I would be really curious to know how much the league has, like, talked teams and or individual players about playing. Especially guys like Trout, where it's, like, it's not just obviously, like, you know, for the for your own team's value, but it's, like, you're the best player in baseball for the love of, like, you know, the equivalent of, like, LeBron James opting out of this NBA, this NBA bubble thing, like... You know, which was obviously never was never going to happen. Like LeBron James is was simply never going to do that. But like, and I, I can't imagine the NBA ever even had to have a conversation with him and be like, "You have to play. Like, we just you have to play." Right. But it's like an unspoken knows, thing where like know. the league's best players. It's different when Nick Markakis opts out. It's it's a whole yeah. Or it's different game. when yeah. when like when like Felix Hernandez decides. You know what? I no, three hundred. Like, I'm not making. I'm, I'm not, good. <laughs> yes. Like I've made a lot of money in my career. I don't even know if I was going to make this team. Like. I'll see you guys next spring. Like that's, that's one thing. Or when it's a guy like David Price, it's like, I got my money. I've got yep. my world series ring. No, thank you. Um, but yeah, for trout, it's like, he's got his money, but he hasn't got that world series no. ring. You know, he has obviously he hasn't made the playoffs since his, and he's his prime. And that's the other thing. It's like, does he really want to lose a season, even a past season of, of, you know, of playing time? And I think the answer ultimately is, is no, it's just, it just, and I know this isn't the point, but it really does just suck that MLB has made these guys make this choice. You know, your career, your health, that's what's on the line. And it's not fair and it sucks. And I guarantee that if you were asked these guys, like, you know, get them to be 100% honest. Probably a lot of them would say, I don't want to do this for whatever reason, you know, but yeah, I think it's going to be hard for a guy like Trout to, to step out because I think he also understands too, that like his place, his visibility means something. You know, he is the, he is whether or not he likes it or not. And I think he's actually started to to take more of this role, but he's, I think he knows he is the face of this league. Yeah. And part of that responsibility, unfortunately, is to be stuff. And maybe it's just a matter of like, he, he is there, but he's also, you know, and I appreciate he has been way more open and outspoken, not just about like, you know, Hey, this doesn't feel fully safe or, you know, wear your mask, but also on the labor stuff. He was outspoken about, Hey, you know, what's going on right now is ridiculous. Like, you know, this, why are we arguing about money right now? Like, this is not, a, this is not what's, you know, we just want to play baseball. Like, why are we doing this? Um, I appreciate that he is kind of, I think he's growing into that role a bit more of being kind of a vocal presence in major league baseball. And I don't think he, he's never, I don't think he's ever going to be a Bryce Harper type. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be in like, you know, commercials where he's funny. I don't think he's ever going to be like, yeah, just, that's just not his personality, and it would be weird if he's tried to be that way. And he, it doesn't have to be his personality. Like Mike Trout doesn't have to be big, flashy, funny guy for him to be an attraction. But I think he's recognizing that with his seniority now, because he's been in the league eight years or nine years now, and with his skill level and with everything he represents, you know, be a more vocal person within baseball to say, hey, this is good, this is bad, this needs work, this needs to change. He can He can be one of those lebron type levers to kind of move the league in one direction or another or at least theoretically I mean, obviously it's way different in the nba where one player especially a player of lebron's stature can have way more of an impact than someone like Trout in major league baseball but um it's it's good to see but i but i ultimately i do think he is going to play which brings us to the atlanta braves um their best player might not be playing who knows um we're, we're going to see what ready Freeman. That's a, so 
yeah, that's a real problem. It, it, it is a problem, yes. A real problem. Um, because the NL East is better. A um, lot less room for air. They've won back-to-back NL East titles. Um, I, um, I think he's going to play. I think Freeman's going to come back. Um, that's he seems like a different kind of player than Mike Trout, different kind of personality, and like it, 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 I, I don't know Freddie Freeman, but based on what I read and what I see, is just like one of those I'm not going to leave my teammates out to drive type things, where it's like I yeah, I, I mean I, I, I don't see that. I don't think he would. I don't think he would opt out either, unless it turns out he's way sicker than we thought. Right, but. Of course, the problem there is that like he is, he has been sick, and from what everyone and the Braves seem to think, he is he was a guy who got hit kind of hard. And so the question is like, not just like oh he's missed a lot of time to get ready, like even if he has been like you know working out throughout the whole um, season pause, you know what what kind of shape is he going to be in when he comes back? Like what what kind of after effects is his illness going to have? You know you're talking about now like and especially any. It doesn't matter how many games he misses. It could be one, could be five. Any game he misses in a 60-game season is crucial because that drop-off from Freddie Freeman to Yonder Alonso is huge. You know, you're talking about one of the I three best for Alonso. I think they move somebody down. I think they would move Austin Riley to first would be my bet. You think they would do Austin Riley at first instead of DH again? Yeah, because then you have Puig at DH. Well, I guess the issue, the other issue now is, is, is where do you plug in Puig? And I figure we, we, we talk about that. We'll talk about it at some point because you know, now you have an outfield that you have. Obviously, if you have Cunha and Flowers, and, I would say is another very obvious DH option. Um, but you got you got a Cunha and right. You have Enciarte in center, at least as for now, I suppose. I mean, he's he's he, he, at this point, Enciarte probably should be a reserve, a guy you plug in for defensive purposes or as a pinch runner. But well, the problem is passion, um, and then you have so they have to. Like, I think they're waiting out. Pache. Yeah, and then. He, that's what I figure. And then you have Marcelo Zuna and left, but Ozuna is another guy where if you really wanted to, you probably should plug him in a DA. He's also kind of a disaster defensively. Yeah. Um, and then you have Adam Duvall, who is also just another kind of the Braves really need like four DH spots <laughs> in their lineup. They don't have we a talk lot about of this. I told you, I was like, this is great. Out. And Braves fans who are like anti DH. I'm like this. Wh- what? This team extremely benefits from DH. What are you doing? What? And, and now you, now you got to, but now you got to find where do you plug in Puig? And Puig, I believe, has only ever played right field, which isn't to say he couldn't play left. But right. you know, does that mean Wait, he never played left? Does that mean Puig is? I don't believe so. I think mm. he was only a right fielder out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up just to be sure. But I I feel like Puig, wherever he's been, and now he's been quite a few places in the last couple of years. But yeah, he's played all of 37 innings and in left in his major league career. Okay, he's been almost exclusively a right fielder, except for some time in center. So is this something where? And I don't necessarily know if you want to put. Uh, 29 year old Yasiel Puig in center. Um, because no, he's obviously sounds, he's not the same, you that know. Sounds terrifying. I don't know that that's really a decision you want to make if you're the Braves, but because that's the thing, like, if there's any one of these guys you want to bench, it's in Ciarte, yep. but he's also your best defender. And ideally, you get Azuna out of left field into the DH spot, but then who's playing left? And also, where if you want Austin Riley playing, well, is he playing first or DHing? It, so it's you gotta a, have your fingers really, crossed about Freeman, uh, basically here. What's that? So you basically have to have your fingers crossed about Freeman. Like if Freeman is healthy, a lot of these are solved are are, are solvable. Yeah, if, if if Freeman is healthy, then you probably just you probably kind of rotate Puig and Ozuna between DH and Riley's just kind of a bench bat, maybe. 
but or maybe Riley is a or maybe Riley is part. Of, I don't know. The, the thing is, the Braves have a lot of pieces and don't don't seem to have enough spaces for them. Yeah. I mean, is Sounds Riley like a, a third baseman problem or not? Right. There's. I don't know if they make a trade. Wait, I mean, are they just going to? Is, is Johan Camargo just the, the? You broke up there. What did you say? Is Johan Camargo just the, the the regular third baseman now? Uh, I think it depends on how. Like, it would not surprise me if him or Riley get third. But like, if Freeman's doesn't have what happened to him i they really want riley to play and i think camargo is a better player um i think he's gonna be a better player in 2020 like austin riley was just bad um down the stretch last year and he lost a lot of confidence they sent him down like that's why i'd be hesitant about adding him as a bench bat to start off because they really need that dude to be confident and to be mashing like he was two years ago and i i don't know that seems like a recipe for disaster to start him off the bench that's fair. I guess the question is, can he play third base well enough to be the regular there? Uh, probably not. But they're gonna try. Because I, I think they, I would imagine that the Braves probably like the idea of Camargo more as a, a super utility guy yeah. they can plug in anywhere, and also as a guy who is there in case Swanson gets off to another slow start or gets hurt, plug him right in at shortstop. You know, he can take those innings there. But yeah, the the Braves, especially now with Puig, and Puig makes sense. Like he makes sense, especially if Freeman is isn't going to be available. You know, you add another bat, you add another outfielder to that, or another bat to that outfield DH mix. Um, certainly, he's still got the talent and the tools to be an above average player, even though he really hasn't been for the last couple of years. But it definitely does create a situation where you have a Brian Snicker has a lot of rotating parts right now in the outfield at DH at first base, maybe at third base, depending, like you said, what they want to do with Riley and Camargo. You're right. Obviously having a healthy Freddie Freeman makes this conversation a little easier because, you know, then you just don't have to play Yonder Alonzo, um, which would be really ideal for everybody. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot for the Braves to figure out. I think when it comes to that lineup, when it comes to the outfield, when it comes to DH, all that stuff. I think these are good problems to have because ultimately having Albies, having Ozuna, having Freeman, and having Acuna at the top of your order is just going to solve a lot of your problems. Like, them getting a bunch of at-bats is just going to solve a lot of the Braves' problems. Um, and it's also weird that, like, I've never felt better about their bullpen. Like, the bullpen we haven't even talked about. Like, we're talking about the offense and everything else. I'm not really worried. Like, it's weird that that's, like, our biggest worry. I, I, actually, I should take that back. That's not their biggest worry. It's the starting pitching after Freed. Um, yeah, that rotation is Especially if Hamels is not healthy, that there's some issues there. I mean, there are issues even if he is healthy. That's true because right now, right now, your your starting five is what Soroka, Freed, Fulton, Nivitz, Newcomb, and Kyle Wright. Uh, yeah, or if Cole Hamels is not, but I think Cole Hamels is gonna. If Hamels is not, um, if Hamels is so not, if, if Hamels is healthy, yeah, but if Hamels is healthy, he probably bumps right out of there. But yeah, yeah. that's a lot of question. It's a lot of guys who are a lot of injury issues, or in the case of Fulton Davis, is just really inconsistent. Who could forget his last appearance yeah. in Atlanta? I haven't forgotten. Boy, that really. Do you know what it was, was like watching that watch. game? Like, just it was. <laughs> I mean, I remember just sitting there in my chair and let me with my roommates. And we were just in there, and like, I, you're just stunned. For like a solid, you're just like this can't well, be happening. Like I was, thing, it's over. It's like it's already over. Like there's yeah, no point even watching the rest of this yeah, game. The thing like, to I kill just, you about it was all within, 
all within the first inning. You didn't yes. even get the chance to get excited because within no. like 10 minutes, it was already four nothing. Oh my God. It, it really, was... it really was like, I, it, it was just like the, the fact that they made them continue playing that game after that just felt kind of cruel. Yes. I think they should have like stopped it. Like mercy rolled. Like I would have, the fans would like fans actually stayed through it. I, I couldn't believe it. I'd be out immediately. I like I would be like, nope, this is atrocious. I cannot believe I just sat through this. And the amount of money that people spent on that to just it all. I was about to say, I, I have to imagine a lot of the people just sat there and were like, well, I paid 500 bucks to be here. <laughs> we're staying until the goddamn thing is over. It was by far the worst like playoff loss. Um, I've like as an adult, like I, I never thought that that would be a thing. Was it, was it, was it worse than the Juan Uribe walk off? Uh yes. Ooh boy, because that that shot of Kimbrel in the bullpen will just be etched forever in my memory. Yeah, I think it was just because it was so demoralizing, and I was really excited about this Braves team last year, and I think I was really excited to see Acuna with a long run. I thought they were also just better than the Cardinals, and it was just a series that should not. Have I think they were way. too. That was a that was a quietly a very good series, just really back and forth. I enjoyed that. Um, I did not enjoy how it ended, uh, John. Um, no, I mean, sure. <laughs> and that's my whole thing with Fulton Evich, who has now assumed the role of Julio Tehran in the rotation of guy the team just throws out there every year is like their opening day guy. And like, well, when he's good, he's great. And when he's bad, he's bad. He is the new Julio Tehran. That is Mike Fulton Evich. But if we could move on from Fulton Evich, that'd be great. You know, it's crazy. Um, regardless of whether or not Hamill starts here in the rotation, every brave starting pitcher in their projected rotation was a first round pick at one point. Yeah, because they've had like nineteen since like two thousand eight. <laughs> no, but even guys like even guys like Newcomb and Freed, who they didn't develop, they were first rounders by their by their original teams. Yeah, I mean, we still Freed I mean, was a number seven pick back in twenty twelve. And then they moved on. Well, Navis was, Allard, was but... a number. Oh boy! Well, that's that's the thing. Like you, you, you know, that when you talk about the Braves, is always those guys down there. Is is all the it's you know is Tuki Toussaint and Colby Allard and all the high school kids they've drafted over the last Ian Anderson uh, last years. Yeah, Ian Anderson and and whoever else. Like, you know, obviously none of those kids are ready quite yet, but they're there. You know, and I mean, like Ander or Anderson's in the in the in the player pool. Um, you know, I got some other semi interesting names down there obviously i mean and that's the thing like the, the thing with the braves is all that youth like pash drew waters anderson um wilson Contreras' little brother um obviously you know acuna but he's already up right soroka bryce wilson like there's just so much young talent there it's just but like you said this is just tough for the braves because that nl east is really tight you, know, you look at fangrass projections the braves and the nats are both projected to go 33 and 27 and the mm. mets are projected to go 32 and 28 and the Phillies are projected to go uh, twenty-nine and thirty-one. Just like, not a lot of room for error. Just there's no room for error, and that's like that's that's why if you're if you're the Braves, like that Freddie Freeman thing is just terrifying right now. You know, you you really cannot afford for him to be out for an extended period of time. It'd be very on the nose. And you really need sports though to miss the playoffs by like three games, and it's like the three games that Freeman missed to start the season. That would feel appropriate, but. I mean, you know, here's your thing. So if you if you had to say right now, um, not knowing what Freeman's situation is, but you say right now, do you think the Braves win the NL East? No. Interesting. Do you I really think it's going to be a... in a limited space? Like, I just, I really don't think they have enough room for air, and I think Freeman might miss more than people think. And if he does, I, 
the bullpen is fantastic and if the bullpen's elite and they can get by with like pulling the Kyle Wrights of the world after like five innings and just handing the ball to their bullpen the bullpen just not imploding with Luke Jackson and Shane Green and um, Chris Martin and Will Smith and Mark Melanson like they have a lot of options for that one inning of this person one inning of that to get through a very um uh, a dearth of depth on the rotation but like I don't know that that's counting on a lot and like Luke Jackson that's not a fun experience Mark Melanson not a fun ride um Will Smith I'm excited about Shane Green eh I don't know. Like it's at the end of the day, it's the bullpen. They're the most volatile of anybody. And I like bullpens can look great on paper all the time. And we see them implode all the time. Um, well, I mean, I, I think if there's one thing that have been the Braves kind of advantage, like the national bullpen's also pretty volatile. Yeah. The Mets are obviously just an endlessly volatile mix. Like the Phillies, I know we talk kind of about, they just don't seem like they're, they seem like they're kind of a, a step behind all those teams right now. Yeah. I would probably still put the Braves as my NLE's favorite for the moment, mm. but I think if they win, I think it's going to be like whoever wins that division is going to win it by like one or two games. Well, it's, it's going to be super tight all the way down like the stretch. If you told me I had to bet against, like, bet the Braves or the field, I would just pick the field. But if it's like Braves yeah, versus Nats, sense. I'd pick Braves. But if it's Braves versus the top four, then I, I just, I, I would bet. That's, that makes sense. That um, makes sense. I don't know. So, like, who do you like more long term? Is there any chance Freed catches Soroka or no? Is Soroka just like he is the ace and this is his rotation and his team? I mean, I think, I mean, you can't really go wrong with either. I mean, Freed's probably got the best pitch of either of them in that curveball. Is, True. But I don't know. It's, he also it's doesn't just give a thing you always worry about at all. Like, ever. Mike Soroka, just he's adverse nice. to home runs. But, I mean, the other thing you worry about is, like, Freed obviously has the rebuild elbow. I forget, does Soroka ever get Tommy John? I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. I feel like every I feel like every Braves pitcher has had at least one Tommy John in their career. I think he did because I'm pretty sure he was coming back from like when he really came on, like he was coming off Tommy John from not that long ago before yeah. that. I could be wrong. And and the other thing is like Soroka's also younger, so theoretically the ceiling's a little higher. So I mean, but that's me. This is a good problem to have, is who's better, Mike Soroka or Max Reed? They're they're both really good, you know. I think if there is one thing you kind of want for that break, I mean, that, that's why I liked Hamels as a signing because he is that veteran guy who can kind of eat those innings that, you know, that was what kind of what Tehran was doing, like what you said, what Fulton Navis is kind of going to do. So I think having him healthy is important too because you, he is a, he is a reliable presence. You know, he is just a, a useful, reliable veteran. And they don't really have that right now beyond Fulton Navis because now that they don't have Tehran, there's no one else really kind of, I don't think Felix Hernandez would have been that. Um, I think Felix was unfortunately pretty fully cooked, but yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, honestly, if, if you're the Braves, obviously the, you know, the, the injury that hurts the most is, is Acuna. That's the one guy, you, you know, you cannot afford to lose, but in terms of kind of the way it kind of weakens the structure, kind of the Jenga blocks, you definitely don't want to knock out Freeman and Hamels are pretty high up there, you know, Freeman, especially the Hamels is kind of the dependability he represents um, when you're, when you're, when you have a rotation that has a lot of question marks and young guys and injury guys, like you, you want that kind of, you want that veteran arm in there. I'm always, I'm always a big fan of having that veteran guy alongside all the young pitchers who can just, you know, when you're on a three game losing streak and you have that veteran, you just have that feeling it's like, it's fine. He's going to throw six in Or if you have a bullpen that's just been wiped out the last two days, like you have this guy, you know, he can throw six or seven innings. You know, it's not a question. It's just, he's going to go do it because that's what he can do. And so, you know, you really want Hamill back sooner rather than later, too, so you don't have to rely on pushing guys like Kyle Wright 
or probably not Bryce Wilson, but or, or a guy like Tuki Toussaint, like who I, who I know is also out for the moment. But yeah, you don't want to have to push those guys. You don't have. Remember to. when we laughed at Dave Stewart for that trade, like just an all all time terrible trade for Shelby Miller. It Tuki really Toussaint was an all time terrible trade, though. It was, but like, really didn't work out. Nobody for won team. it. <laughs> Nobody won. <laughs> but it was. But in terms of process and in terms of the thought, the thought process behind it, it's just it was an awful deal for sure. Awful, awful, awful. Like just. It, like wow, oh, man! What a fun time that was. It's it's it was fun having GMs who did stuff like that because we don't really have GMs who do that. Anymore. Well, well, make those- Tony Larusa getting the band back together in Nashville. <sighs> oh boy! No, that'll be the Dave Dombrowski show. Hopefully, mm. yeah. No, Dombo's no, gonna do Dave his. Stewart. We want Dave Stewart running one of these organizations. <laughs> like it, it hurts the NBA yeah, not having can- Billy King as GM. I, I think he he yeah like, that's the thing role. like that's yeah. that, that's what I appreciate about the NFL. There seem to be so many like dumb GMs who just do dumb things. Dave Gettleman, it's it's, like, it's refreshing. Yeah, Dave Gettleman. That's it's wonderful watching him operate because you're like, oh my god, it's like you're permanently stuck in 2006. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I think the Braves will ultimately make playoffs. Um, it's a disaster, I think, if they don't. Um, but yeah, if they don't, something has to have gone seriously wrong, I think. I, they're just not contenders. They're not, I don't think, real real contenders for a World Series. I, I do not. I think there's a... The, I mean, the, the, yeah. problem, the problem that the Braves run into is a problem that every other National League team is going to run into, and that's that the Dodgers are the best team in that league by a mile. It's going to be really, really hard for any National League team to beat the Dodgers. They are. A, did we ever do a standalone on the just the Dodgers? I don't think so. I don't... Well, I have to imagine when we do our season preview next week, it's going to be a lot of Dodgers talk because yeah. boy, that team is stacked, just ridiculously <laughs> so. It's every Dodgers fan probably has to be furious that this team doesn't get a full season because not only would they have run away with that division, but you're probably talking like 110 wins. And you're also you know about you're, like you're, you're talking games of like, Mookie Betts, and then it's gone. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like 60 games obviously makes. Like you said, it raises it, it lowers or sorry, it lowers the margin for error. And while I don't think the Dodgers are in any danger of that, like I, I really don't think like Arizona or San Diego has what it takes to chase them down even within a sixty game stretch. You know, if you had hundred and sixty two, that's the team you feel best about. Them and the Yankees are the teams you feel best about with a hundred and sixty two game season because they have so much depth and so much talent, like that they would just you know, you are comfortable penciling them in as division winners. And you still are. Like, I'm, I'm still, you know, if I were to make my division picks, like, it's still the Yankees in the East and the Dodgers in the West. And I think that's probably your World Series matchup. But crazier things have happened. But, yeah, that, that's the problem that the Braves run into, that the Nationals are going to run into, that, you know, whoever wins the Central is going to run into, is that the Dodgers are just juggernaut right now. So I'm sure we'll talk about them plenty next week, though. We will. Well, that's what we're doing next week. Season starting next weekend. Um, we are doing our big MLB preview. Picks, takes galore, John. We will, we will be ready, ready to go next week. Baseball's back. It'll be exciting. Yeah, baseball's back. There we go. Um, John now. Taylor, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, sir. And uh, we will be back next week. All right. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast. I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. 
To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.